hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Really good to be with you guys tonight. I'm looking forward to sharing with you tonight. Uh, we are uh, sort of going through a series of different messages that Jaunty has affectionately dubbed Messages Without a Home which is essentially a series of messages that maybe don't necessarily belong in a series together, but it's some important things that we feel like we need to talk about as a community from time to time. And so uh, before we jump in, would you guys just take a moment to bow your heads and let's just pray and ask God to come and meet us during this time. So Lord, we lift up this uh, time of uh, reflection, this time of hearing from your word, this time of Uh, looking at the example of the life of Jesus tonight. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we are hearing the word tonight, as we're hearing uh, the words of this message, that there would be things that you begin to stir within us and highlight. Lord, areas where we need to make some changes or maybe where uh, we need to take some steps forward or some steps back. Lord, I pray for your wisdom to rest upon us tonight. And Lord, I pray for um, just a sweet sense of your nearness. I just have a a picture even as I'm praying tonight. I just see almost like a window into uh, someone that's here tonight. It's like a window into your heart. And I just see there's all these sands within your heart. And buried within those sands are treasures. And I feel like there's this sense that Maybe you're here and you just are feeling like, oh, Lord, all I can see inside of myself is, is sand. I can't see anything of value in there. But I just have a sense that tonight the Lord wants to move on your heart and begin to dust off some of those treasures because he wants you to know that you actually bring a lot of value uh, to him and to the people around you. So, Lord, for whoever that is tonight, Lord, I just pray that, uh, that you would begin to blow the dust off of those treasures, that they would see what they could not see before. And, Lord, we welcome your activity and your presence in this place tonight. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Well, if I told you that what I want to talk to you about tonight was an aspect of your life that, if done well, could lead to more happiness, more fulfillment, and even a longer life, would that be something you'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about? Oh, good. (laughs) So I listened to a talk recently from a lady named Susan Pinker. And in this talk, Susan was sharing about a bit of a journey that she went on that started with a question. uh, And what she was wondering was, why is it that men typically live six to eight uh, years shorter lifespans on average than women? Now, I have to be honest with you. When I heard this question, I thought about the time that I tried replacing the brakes on my rusty bicycle with some cheapo $6 brakes from Walmart and then decided that the best way to test out this brake job was by taking the bike down the largest hill in my neighborhood. And then I thought to myself that I could probably explain to Susan pretty easily why men tend to live shorter lives. (laughs) 
But this question led Susan to try to figure out what are the things that cause people to live longer lives? I mean, was it a good diet? Was it uh, lots of exercise? Was it avoiding drugs and alcohol and staying away from questionable bicycle repairs? Susan wanted to know. So her search led her to an island in Italy where the men and the women uh, actually have a very similar life expectancy. And in fact, they have some of the longest life expectancies of anywhere in the world. And so she started interviewing some people on this island who were over 100 years old. And at first, you know, again, she's wondering if it's sort of the expected things, if the secret to a long life is uh, positivity or perhaps the diet. But then she started talking to some of these 100-year-olds and found out that a lot of them were actually pretty grumpy and a lot of them didn't eat very well. And so as she was interviewing them, what she found was that they had something in common with each other that was kind of unexpected. And what these 100-year-olds had in common was that they were never alone. They lived with family members, or other people. They were part of their community and they had some friends that they saw on a regular basis and spent time with. And they lived in a very densely populated village where there was a lot of people around all the time. Now Susan was fascinated by this and she decided that she was going to pursue this track a little bit more. And so she looked into a study that was done by Brigham Young University, which did some interviews with tens of thousands of middle-aged adults in the United States. And they were asked all sorts of questions about their diet, how much they exercised, whether or not they had disease and their family history, what their social lives were like, and so on and so on and so forth. And then in this study, the researchers waited seven years and then they contacted all these people to see who out of the tens of thousands of these people were, well, not dead. And then what did these not dead people have in common? And the question that the study was asking was, out of all of these people we studied, uh, studied, what reduced their chances of dying the most? Now there were some obvious things that did factor in, so they, they do matter, not smoking, not drinking, getting good exercise, eating your kale and your spinach, so on and so forth. But interestingly, on the list of things that led to longer lives, they weren't at the top of the list like you might expect. What this study found was the thing in second place that most reduced your chances of dying was having close relationships. This would be your family relationships or relationships with close friends. These are the sort of people that will, you know, give you money when you've lost your job, give you a place to stay. Uh, they'll sit with you when you're sick in the hospital. They're the people that will, you know, listen to you when you've had a terrible day. Having these relationships were the second highest reducer of your chances of dying. And then, very interestingly, in first place, the thing that most commonly reduced the chances of dying among the tens of thousands of people that were interviewed in this study was what Susan referred to as social integration. Now, social integration is where you are interacting not just with the people closest to you, but for example, are you talking to the barista 
while they're making your coffee? Are you connecting with the people around you at church? Are you saying hello to the neighbor who you see putting her washing out uh, every Saturday afternoon? Social integration, in simpler terms, means that you're part of a community. Top of the list. Now, what I love about this study is that all of it shows, uh, shows us with some real-world data a very important truth, and that is this. Our relationships in life, from our closest ones to our most casual ones, can be literally life-giving if they're done well. And that makes sense, because God is a God of relationship, and He has designed us for relationship with Himself and with the people around us. After all, from Adam's earliest days, the Lord looked at him and said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so he created Eve. And through Eve, Adam would find both the close intimacy that he needed as well as eventually find the community that would come through his and Eve's offspring. So friendships and community are very important for all of us. None of us are meant to be out on our own. And you guys, I so long for this spiritual family to be a place where people can come in, where they can find friendships, where they can encounter Jesus, where they can be challenged to grow as disciples, and that by being a part of this community that they would see themselves transformed in ways that they never could have imagined in their wildest dreams. Now, there's a lot of different things that I could say about what healthy relationships, friendships, and community looks like. But tonight, what I want to zero in on is a very specific tool that I feel is an important part of knowing how to both find and then how to take care of all the different relationships in our lives. If you can get this tool right, it will solve a lot of smaller problems for you. And this tool that I'm talking about tonight with you is boundaries. Boundaries. You see, you and I are made for relationship with God and the people around us, and we are designed to both give and to receive love. However, there's a catch. We don't have an unlimited amount of time and energy and resources to give to those relationships. So we have to learn how to give the right amount of time and energy to the right people in our lives in order to thrive both as an individual and then as a community. And this is important for us to get a hold of because if we want to have meaningful friendships and a vibrant community that changes lives, then we must learn how to manage our relationships with healthy boundaries. So if you've got your Bible with you tonight, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 16. So if boundaries are so important for us to understand and get a hold of, well, it's probably worth asking, what are boundaries? Well, everything in life has boundaries. I mean, for example, our nation has a boundary that says that everything inside of it is New Zealand and everything outside of it is bad at rugby. Our society also has laws that can act as boundaries that say it is legal to do some things and it is not legal to do other things. 
Even you yourself have a boundary. Your skin is the boundary between what is you and what is not you. And God is the author of boundaries. And boundaries exist in order to protect what lays inside of them. And in Psalm 16, King David wrote about God's goodness and kindness in setting boundaries in his life. Let's take a look in verse 6. It says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see, in King David's mind, the boundaries that God put upon him and around him equaled safety and joy that led him into the paths of life. And we see this play out with boundaries all the time in our own lives. You know, for example, when you tell your children that they are not allowed to leave your backyard or cross the street, you are communicating a boundary. Now, because they're children and they're immature and they know nothing about what a car does to someone when it hits them at 50 k's an hour, they might be inclined to think that you're just being a little bit mean. I mean, after all, look how much fun the other side of the street looks like. But as your kids get older and eventually perhaps have some kids of their own, they will look back on those boundaries that you set and they will understand that you weren't actually being mean you were putting those boundaries in place to protect them from things that they could not understand at the time. And in the same way, to those who are spiritually immature, the boundaries that God puts in place might make it look like God is simply being mean and spoiling all of your fun. But the spiritually mature recognize that God's boundaries are there to protect us, not to harm us. So when God tells you it's not a good idea to kill people and you probably shouldn't have sex with someone who's not your spouse and it's not a good idea to lie about things, he's not trying to spoil your fun. He's trying to protect something of value on the inside of you and on the inside of other people. So all of that to say, boundaries are God-given and they are a good thing. And they're designed to protect things that are valuable. Now, this is never more true than when it comes to our relationships with the people around us. There can be a bit of a misconception out there that Christians are not supposed to have boundaries. I mean, after all, aren't we supposed to love the people around us freely and openly? And the answer to that is yes. We are supposed to love the people around us in ways that are extravagant and sometimes very costly to us. But that doesn't mean that all of the people around us should have the same level of access to our time, our energy, and our resources. And the reason for this is simple. You only have a certain amount of time, energy, and resources. And if you don't put healthy boundaries around how those things are spent, well, then you will get burned out and you'll get exhausted because you'll be giving too much of yourself 
to some people and not enough of yourself to the people that you should be. Even Jesus did not heal every person or help every person who asked him to. And that wasn't because he didn't love them. But rather it was because Jesus knew that while he was on earth, his time and his energy were limited. And so therefore they had to be managed to accomplish the bigger purpose that he came to do. So Jesus spent intentional time with close friends and often left the crowds to go out into the wilderness to seek the Lord because he knew he would be more effective in his mission if he took the time to connect with his Father and intentionally rest and recharge. And because of that, Jesus managed himself and his relationships everywhere that he went. And in the same way, when our relationships are managed with healthy boundaries, it can lead to meaningful friendships and a vibrant community. So, for the next few minutes, we're going to explore together what some healthy boundaries can look like in your life uh, with the context of your relationships and how they can help create those friendships in that community. And to do that, I am just going to put a chart up on screen behind me. Thank you, Robert. So you'll see this lovely, colorful chart that I've thrown together to help you visualize the different layers of relationships that you might have in your life. Now you'll notice right away, right in the middle, in the most intimate red circle of our lives, is you and the Holy Spirit, symbolized by this dove. This is the core of who you are. This is the person that no one else can see. Only you and God know who this person is. The next layer out, the orange one, is where you might find your spouse if you're married. Or if you're single, this might be, you know, maybe a really close friend or a parent or a sibling. And this sort of person would be, or, or people would be, the sort of people that you would share your deepest secrets with. These would be uh, the type of people that you could call at any time of the day, and you know that they would pick up the phone and come to your aid if you needed it. And for Jesus, this could have been his mother Mary, or possibly his disciple John. You know, the Bible calls John the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not everybody got that title. And when Jesus was looking for someone to take care of his mother after he, uh, after he knew he was going to die, he asked John. He didn't ask the other disciples. The next layer after that, the yellow circle that you can see, you know, maybe this is your close friends and your family members. Uh, these are types of friends or family members that maybe you click with really well. You know, these are the people that you'd go on a holiday with or uh, you might, might stand in their wedding. And they tend to be the sorts of people where you can both give and receive love easily with. And what I mean by that is the relationship isn't one-sided. It's a two-way street. These are the people that know as much about you as you know about them. Now for Jesus, this could have included Peter and James and John. These were the inner circle of close friends that he invited up for example, to see the glory of who he truly was when he took them up in Matthew 17 to the Mount of Transfiguration. Mary of Bethany also could be in this category as one of Jesus' closest friends. The next layer out, in the green circle, this might be your, your regular sort of friendships. You know, these are the people that you would consider friends, but they're at maybe a slightly more casual level. 
You know, maybe you connect really well over a shared love of board games. Maybe you all live in the same flat. Uh, these would be the sorts of friends you might invite to your birthday party, or maybe you go over to each other's house for dinner every now and again. And for Jesus, this green layer would be the 12 disciples as a whole. And you know, the 12 uh, as a group maybe didn't have quite as much access to Jesus' life, but they still had quite a bit more access than most people. They were his friends. Now we'll talk about the outer two layers in just a moment, but these inner uh, orange, yellow, and green layers, we could call these the friendship layers of your life. And if we were to make a chart of the layers of each of your friendships, well, the chart might look quite a bit different than this one because some of you might have fewer layers, some of you might have more, some of you might have more people in it, uh, some less. That's just because all of us have a different personality, we're in a different stage of life, you know, so on and so forth. And also, it needs to be said that these layers can change over time. Uh, the people who are really close to you today might be further out a year from now. The people who are further out might sort of drift a little bit closer to your inner circle over time. So these layers can change because relationships are fluid and are always either growing closer together or farther apart, sometimes for good reasons and sometimes for some not so good reasons. But the point is, is that each of these circles of people have different levels of access to your life. And there should be certain boundaries that you have with each of them that sort of determine how much of your time, your energy, and your resources that you are capable of giving to them. You know, I heard a really good teaching on this subject from a teacher in the States called Danny Silk, and he sort of described this concept in terms like this. You know, let's say one of your friends in the green circle there calls you up and says, hey, my car has just broken down. I'm on the side of the road. Well, your response to them might be, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, where are you at? Can I, can I come give you a ride somewhere? But then let's say your close friend in your yellow circle calls you and tells you that their car is broken down. Well, for this level of relationship, maybe you say, you know what? My wife and I, we have two cars. Tell you what, how about you take one of our cars and use that until your car gets fixed? And then imagine that we jump down to this orange layer. And imagine my wife Sarah calls me up and says, Honey, I'm on the side of the road. The car has just broken down. And my first thought is going to be, Where are you? How can I come get you? And oh man, this is going to cost me a lot of money to fix this car. <laughs> so you see in those examples, the level of relationship that you have with the person determines the level of your time your energy, and your resources that you might be willing to give to them. Because you only have the capacity to give so much. And so the amount that you can give tends to decrease the further out you get in the circle. And this is actually really important for us to understand these dynamics and to have appropriate boundaries with our friendships. Because if we give too much of ourselves to the people in the outer circles, well, then we may not have anything left to give to the people inside. You know, for example, if one of your friends from the green circle calls you up and tells you that their car is broken down, but you're out at the restaurant with your wife celebrating your wedding anniversary, 
well, then you're probably going to have to say, hey, you know I love you, but I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you with this one. And that's okay. Healthy boundaries help us to protect our relationships. And if they are done well, they can lead to meaningful friendships that give us lots of life. Now let's talk about these outer two layers, the blue and the purple layers. These might be called the community layers. And these could be, uh, you know, the, the sort of relationships, you know, for many of us in the blue layer, this might be our church community. Uh, this could be people that you say hello to on a Sunday morning or uh, at the grocery store. But, you know, your connection to them is, is limited. The purple layer might be made up of strangers or near strangers. This could be the person living on the street that you spend some time just loving on, talking to, buying them some groceries. This could be uh, the bus driver that you see on your way to work every day. And it's actually just as important that we learn to manage these relationships as well as we manage our friendships because as Christians, we are called to create healthy boundaries. But what we are not called to do is build fortresses that we only let the people that we like into. Jesus did not just spend time with his 12 disciples. He had his outer circle of the 72 and more, and he also spent time with the crowds and people who saw the world very differently than he saw the world. And we are called to love people around us, and that includes people like us, and it also includes some people that are very different than us. It includes people we like and maybe people we might not like so much. People that we really enjoy being around and some people that maybe drain us a little bit. The thing is, is we need to have a place for everyone in our life. But it must be done with the right boundaries so that we are only giving what we have capacity for. Now I have a bit of a theory. I think one of the biggest obstacles that we have to creating a vibrant community is fear. And that is the fear that if I talk to someone or I invite them into my life and I open the door to relationship just a little bit, that they're going to come in and they're going to just take all of my time and my resources. And so instead of facing that fear with healthy boundaries, we can instead be tempted to stay within our own circles and never allow other people into our lives. And you know, it sounds crazy, but by putting limits on the amount of time, energy, and resources that you give to people in these outer layers, you actually become much more free to love them with a happy heart. Let me give you an example of how some boundaries create freedom. So when Sarah and I first got married, uh, I had a very, very big love of eating out at restaurants. And uh, at the time, when we first got married, we were working as missionaries, and so we didn't have a ton of spare cash to go out to eat all the time. And so every time I wanted to go out to eat, we would always sort of feel guilty about it because we were spending money. And so the delicious, slow-cooked beef brisket at Kansas City's finest barbecue restaurant began to taste a little bit less like the best thing to ever grace my taste buds and started to taste a little bit more like an argument with my wife. 
So it wasn't a good thing. <laughs> but then Sarah and I took a budgeting course and we discovered the life-changing power of envelopes. Yes, envelopes. What we started doing was instead of just eating out and sort of spending money whenever we felt like it, at the beginning of the month, we had a conversation and we decided how much we were going to budget on eating out. And we would take that money out of the bank and we would put it inside of this envelope. And so then when we felt like eating out, and when I say we, I mean me, uh, we would look inside the envelope and if there was enough money in there, then we'd jump in the car and we'd go to the restaurant. However, once the envelope ran out, that was it for the month. Now, you know, something amazing happened because of this. Since we always knew that we were never going to spend more than we intended to spend, it actually made us suddenly feel free to go out and enjoy meals without having to feel guilty about it. Creating boundaries on my excessive love of restaurants actually led to happy date nights and a greater sense of trust between my wife and I. And that's the power of boundaries in finance. But the same principles apply to boundaries in our relationships. If we put healthy limits on the amount of time and energy and resources that we intend to give to the people in the different friendship and layers, uh, relational layers of our lives, then we will actually love people better because we'll give with a cheerful heart and not a resentful heart. In short, if we want to have meaningful friendships and a vibrant community that changes lives, then we must learn how to manage our relationships with healthy boundaries. So tonight, I want to ask you guys, who are the people in those different circles of your friendships and your community? And are you giving the right amount of time and energy and resources to those people? Now, it needs to be said, again, everyone's circles and relationships are going to look a little bit different than what we looked at tonight. And so I can't tell you exactly how you are supposed to lay out your friendships and your different relationships because all of us define friendship in different ways and define community in different ways and we're in different stages of life. But what I want to challenge you guys with tonight is I want you to uh, be intentional with creating healthy boundaries in your relationships. You know, if you're having dinner with your family and someone from work calls, don't answer the phone. Call them back after dinner. It doesn't mean that you don't care about your work or your workmates. It just means that you are going to give to work what you should be giving to work and not what you should be giving to your wife and your kids. Maybe tonight you're deciding that you have some close friendships, but you're not being as intentional with reaching out and loving those outer layers, those community sort of relationships. And if that's you, I wanna challenge you tonight to draw some new boundaries and to actually make some space in your life for people who might be a little bit different than you. You might only be able to give them a small slice of your life, 
but it is the giving of those small gifts of time and love to people that creates vibrant community. And you know, maybe if you're heading out to eat after church night, maybe you could consider inviting someone who's not inside your normal friend group to come along with you. Or perhaps this week, you could politely say no to some people so that you can say yes to loving with a rested and happy heart. You guys, I realize that friendships and community are messy. And that's because you are messy. And so am I. But you know what? God loves both of us. And I believe with all my heart that despite the vulnerability and the hurt that sometimes goes into figuring out how to love those people around us, that at the end of the day, meaningful friendships and vibrant community are worth fighting for. So let's be intentional about fighting for them starting today so that we can be a spiritual family who gives out love cheerfully and sees lives transformed. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.